Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Oh, hi. Don't nobody move. We're going to talk to Malcolm Nance here in just one second. But first, let's talk about our Amazon link at BobSeska.com. Whether you're shopping for yourself or if you're buying music by one of our excellent indie bands, or if you're purchasing Malcolm Nance's book in paperback, don't forget to use our Amazon link just beneath the logo at bobsuska.com. Our special link will take you to the front page of Amazon.com where you can go shopping until you're dropping. And by doing so through our link, we receive a teeny tiny commission on some of your purchases. Thanks for shopping through our Amazon link. And now let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, July 15, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show and the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is a returning favorite of mine, the great Shouty McShoutface, Malcolm Nance, joins me today. Malcolm can be seen all over MSNBC, and the paperback edition of his book is out now, The Plot to Betray America, How Team Trump Embraced Our Enemies, Compromised Their Security, and How We Can Fix It. Link in the description. Today, we'll talk about Putin's bounty on American troops. We'll get into police violence, the 2020 election, the Trump crisis, and a lot more. Meanwhile, if you like what you hear, please help support this show by subscribing at patreon.com slash Show. Okay, hang on tight. Here comes Malcolm Nance. Hey, it's Malcolm. Mr. Nance, it's Mr. Seska. How you doing? I'm fine. It's been more than a year since you've been on the show, so I've been dying to know, what exactly does Malcolm Nance keep busy with during self-isolation? Have you started working on your doomsday bunker yet? No, are you kidding? I've had my doomsday bunker for a while. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Naturally. I have, my, uh, I have, I have a, a skiff in my house. So, uh, you know, that's a sensitive compartmented information facility it's for classified and right now it's rated to secret are you uh, do you seriously have a skiff in your house or are you just bullshitting you you do holy god is is there some kind of special zoning that you have to qualify for i i will win um if i get a job in the next administration Uh. and want to get it certified then they'll come in they'll inspect it and uh give it a rating or a classification rating. And I think to get top secret, I would have to, re- have to redo my ceilings. 
uh. with like a special steel sheeting that goes in there that that would would allow or that wouldn't allow someone to cut through the upstairs floors <laughs> in less than thirty minutes. So, <laughs> but what the, to answer your question? Yeah. What I've done during isolation is, um, as you know, my wife passed away last year, yeah. and she was a landscape architect, and we had designed um, this one-and-a-half-acre section of our property to be a, a giant park-style garden. Mm. And uh, so I've spent pretty much all my time uh, working out in the garden, doing this humongous garden. Less gardener, more project manager. And, uh, you know, who, who has to cut the grass. So I was very happy to spend three months letting the lawyers and the, uh, and the doctors do all the, uh, the work at MSNBC. But needless to say, in the last couple of weeks, I've been dragged back. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed, too, you got a pretty high rating on Room Raider. Have you seen that uh, Twitter feed, Room Raider? Well, yeah. I, I had to go back to Room Raider because they had given me a Four out of ten for Bill Maher. Oh, it's bullshit. And, and I said, well, well, first off, I was in a hotel room in Richmond. <laughs> and so it had nothing behind it but a lamp and a refrigerator, right? <laughs> yeah. And they were like, needs art, you know, camera's too low. And I'm like, hey, um, I'm in a hotel room in <laughs> Richmond. And, uh, you know, what are we going to do? Show you the bed covers? <laughs> and so... I had done an event with the uh, Spy Museum a week ago mm -hmm. that I called uh, Black Spies Matter, <laughs> and uh, it was they had to use that the is, name. That, wait, that is awesome! Black Spies Matter. Holy shit! Yeah, and well, that's what I called the the event. It was um, two CIA officers, an FBI uh, field director, and uh, and myself all after talking about the African-American experience in, yeah. in intelligence. And that was done in my, my summer office. We, mm -hmm. I actually have, I do in winter, I stay down in the skiff. And in the, by the way, it's called a man skiff. <laughs> all right. It's, yeah. It literally says that on the door. <laughs> and uh, I don't have a man cave. I have a man skiff. Oh, so, man. and then, so I did that. And the upstairs office has that blue, you know, it's very classical. Oh, yeah. I saw it this morning on Stephanie's oh, show. Yeah. Yeah. And this this house was built in 1850. So, you know, it, it matches the decor. And I've got all my stuff, if you look, you know. And so I went back and I appealed. I was like, hey, this is the room I did my spy museum interview from. And um, and actually, I just did Joy Reid's uh, podcast, What to Read. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they came back and gave me an eight out of 10 because of the, the, they said there's a trash bag in the background and that actually is a shredder. <laughs> and I, they said, unless it's a shredder, you know, it would be higher if that was a shredder. And I said, that was a shredder. It's right inside the, the plastic bag. You know, you lift the top and you drop the paper and it shreds right into a bag. So, yeah. See, and I then another person came back and goes, do you have any burn bags? And it's like, funny you should mention it. Well, yes, I do have 50 U.S. government-issue burn bags. Wow. Because uh, I burn all my private documents and yeah. or shred them. Shred them, then burn them, actually. <laughs> that's that's really appropriate. That's good. That's good. I'd like to imagine Wait, that. I like, 
Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, like you're the Russian embassy or something like that during the Cuban Missile Crisis, just burning all your documents. Uh, I would like to say a field site. We're more like a this. This is run more like a field site, and <laughs> I've been in a few of those. So you got to keep the traditions, like burn bags next to every desk. And I actually took a picture of it, and somebody goes, "You even marked it properly." Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're supposed to put your division, the date, <laughs> and level of. of classification so that was super fun yeah see now i'm envious i gotta build myself a skiff i gotta there's no i wouldn't use it for anything but just to say oh i've got got a skiff skiff. (laughs) you gotta build to whatever your area of expertise is i mean if if, if you're podcasting you need to build you need to do like i live near and i live um up here in upstate new york Mm -hmm. and the other famous malcolm from this town is malcolm gladwell oh yeah yeah right for the 10,000 hours. Bought, yeah. yeah, he just bought a Victorian, renovated the entire thing. And I understand it's supposed to become like a, you know, a podcasting studio, <laughs> not just for him, but for others in this big Victorian house. I got to ask you about Putin's bounty program in Afghanistan. Ever, ever since this story first broke, I said, oh, my God, I can't wait to talk to Malcolm about this. And, of course, uh, coupled in with that is Trump's refusal to even acknowledge the entire story at all. He doesn't talk about it. So, first of all, what's your take on Putin's motives here? Is he, uh, is he trying to embarrass Trump or is he taking sides to destabilize that theater? What, what, what are his motives in all of this? What is Putin trying to do? I've discussed this on air, and for the last three years, we have been getting, even in, in, in open source reporting and news media reporting, that the Russians were arming the Taliban, and elements of the Taliban were getting new Russian weapons yeah. coming through a pipeline from Tajikistan. And um, so it wasn't the first that, that I had heard of this story. The specific bounties was, was, uh, was a story that, that we had heard that there, uh, they had captured a money mover, you know, a, 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 a fund guy, mm. and that he had an extraordinary amount of money, right? Yeah, yeah and, cash. You know, was... Taliban guys might have five or 6,000 bucks in cash and a mix of rupees, rials, euros, whatever they steal mm. or whatever they can get. And this was like a half a million of brand new bricks of hundred dollar bills. Jesus. You know, and it was in the, the money had been traced back to a transfer that had been done by Russia. And so when I heard that, of course, it just goes in line. You know, my previous book before plot to betray America was a book called the plot to destroy democracy. Yep. And it was mainly about Putin's strategy for why he was taking on America and the West, why he decided to engineer our election and get a, uh, an ally elected. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, this guy was a KGB officer. And I wrote extensively about um, that in Plot to Betray America. You know, I, I call him uh, uh, a villain with a, with a dog, you know, a villain with a leash. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And he is, he is a James Bond evil villain, <laughs> you know, ex, by turned, you know, multi, multi, multi billionaire mafia nation state leader with atomic bombs, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And uh, you know, all he's missing is the the, the fly. You know, is the uh, is the giant yacht that splits in half. <laughs> so, and the thing is, I suspect he has that. 
So he is a real James Bond uh, evil villain. Mm -hmm. So a guy like that was a lifelong communist. And I, I, I get this from people who go, he was never a communist. Yes, he was. Yeah. Vladimir Putin went to a KGB open house when he was 13. And they told him what he had to do to become a KGB officer. And he did it. He did all of it. He was in Kansmololets and, you know, he went to law school exactly as he was told. And he became a KGB junior officer, rose to the mid-level and, and was working out of East Germany, out of Dresden. I have been to his office in Dresden. And um, let me tell you, this guy was baby spy. He wanted to do all the operations. The old fat guys just wanted to sit in Germany and drink beer. Putin was an operator. He wanted to go out there and flip people and do the human intelligence mission. Mm -hmm. He could not do that under the Soviet Union without being a true believer. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. And so his strategic outlook on the world are, are carved into stone through the strategic goals of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to believe in communism when it collapsed, but the goals of of the Soviet Union to, you know, to show that there were alternatives to liberal democracy, that that was bad. He kept those goals when he became the president of Russia. And now he was just a, you know, an oligarchic kleptocracy. Yeah. And now he had money to where he could make, you know, how do you, I wrote this in my previous book, you know, to make Russia great again, you have to destroy the United States. Mm-hmm. And That's it's right. easy to do when you have a fool who's on your side who now believes, you know, this ex-KGB officer who wasn't fascinated with communism. He was actually fascinated with East Germany's style of centralized, you know, communist-templated fascist government. Yeah. Uh, and I spoke to experts in West who were in Berlin who were studying Putin in his KGB office, and they said, this guy admired the East German model of communism, which was just Nazism with the communist terms applied to it, right? Mm, yeah. Um, and so that's what he organized the Soviet, uh, the, 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 the Russian Federation around. Mm -hmm. the, old, the old philosophy of autocracy, um, oligarchy, nationality, and orthodoxy under Tsar Nicholas was modified by him to kleptocracy, oligarchy, nationality, you know, nationality and orthodoxy. Isn't there a vein of expansionism in there, too? I mean, doesn't he want to... Well, that's a component of it. You know, Putin is not a deep thinker in that respect, but this is what I'm saying. His strategic mindset is viewing, is re-engineering how the West is viewed. He realized in the 1990s that the way to get at the West is not to run spies and do these things. It's to buy people. Yeah. And now Russian oil money was privatized, and he could buy nations. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he said about doing was creating, you know, Russia is a naturally Christian conservative nation. And he realized that the natural ally to, his, to, to this, to the, you know, to that country were Western conservative Christians, right? hence the Republican Party. And he set about knocking down Western liberal governments by funding right-wing fascist political parties. And he's had great success, the government of Austria, the government of Hungary, the government of Italy, 
major parties in Spain, Germany, Sweden, uh, even England, UKIP. All of these people operate together uh, as as they actually conference together and have these European, uh, you know, European conservative movement conferences that in the old days would have been identical to the Soviet Warsaw Pact. Yep. As George W. Bush once said, don't forget Poland. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Duda. Poland's weird. Yeah. Poland is so frightened of Russia that even though they're conservative Christians, they do not support Russia or the nations around it. And that's fine. The Russians can have everyone around it if they can take the Ukraine and bring Germany back into its sphere of influence. They don't care. And this is why Donald Trump was so critical to their philosophy. They could literally re-engineer the, the worldview that the United States was the center of the universe from the United States through NATO allies, you know, opposing Russia to Russia controlling the United States through an ally and knocking down Western European liberal democracies to where an axis of autocracies mm-hmm. would rule the world, yep. not an act, not an alliance of democracies. And Trump is part of that that alliance axis of autocracy. Do you think Putin is okay with destabilizing um, Pakistan too? And I'm wondering if Putin has thought that far ahead. Like, if we are done in Afghanistan, it looks like Trump is moving us in that direction. What happens to Pakistan from that point forward? Well, you know, Pakistan's an atomic power, so we can right. Do this That's what I'm specifically any, talking about. I'm in, talking about the nukes in there. In any yeah. particular circumstance, and I think for the most part, what you have is you have uh, Russia is back to playing the great game. Mm-hmm of the 19th century, spheres of political influence, which require seaports, transportation lines, particularly since China is not playing this game with us. China just decided they were coming out and they were going to eat the world's economic lunch and they would let the United States flail around with an idiot, you know, Mm -hmm. so long as they kept buying Chinese products. But China thinks big and is thinking strategically. And their whole mindset was, why should we have to ship things through, you know, through Singapore when we can literally open up all of Europe, the Middle East, southern Russia to our lines of, 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 of vehicle communication through the Great Belt Road uh, Initiative mm. and, and essentially own the, the, the access ways by land to every to you know, two-thirds of the market in the world, Asia, Europe, Africa, where, you know, which is why China is deeply involved in setting up, you know, African countries and selling their, you know, giving clothes and things like that yeah. to their market cheaper than, you know, cheaper than uh, us donating things there, right? Mm-hmm. So, but Russia wants to be a player in this too. And they are, their mindset is we've got to keep damaging the United States and its brand of democracy. Donald Trump is part of that. So killing U.S. soldiers gets us out quicker, gives them access to uranium and other things that, you know, rare earth minerals that have been found in Afghanistan that they think is part of their natural sphere of influence since, you know, the mid-1800s. And we're, you know, we've got a guy who literally is going to cut and run, walk away from all of that. 
just hand it over to the Taliban. So how complicit is Trump in all of this as far as that uh, bounty program goes? Because it seems as if there's well, an opportunity to do something. because he won't talk about it. Yeah. He won't talk about it. And you would think that he would at least bullshit something or another about this. But it's amazing. He hasn't said a fucking word about it, has he? Not a word, except the, the, the second day after it came out, he came out and declared it a hoax. Mm-hmm. Which, which tells you all you really need to yeah, know here. Right, right. I mean, this guy, you know, the great component of Robert Mueller's investigation, which was never done, was, is Donald Trump financially beholden to the Russians? And we won't know about that until New York State conducts their forensic analysis of his taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but they have something on him. I mean, I, that's what Plot to Betray America is about. You know, um, you know I call the first chapter... Um, treason in train, plain sight, where, you know, I, I think the first lines of the book are uh, Donald Trump came out on stage, you know, with the intent to commit treason. And that was the run up to his Russia, if you're listening, um, statement. Mm-hmm. And the whole chapter is how he would have to have stood there and literally kept this in his mind, knowing he was going to, to say this. Wow. I mean, it, it's like it's like literally being in the room when Benedict Arnold and Peggy Shippen decide they're going to commit treason, only they admit it out loud. It, you know, it is amazing about this, Malcolm, is, uh, is I'm seeing a lot of similar things that you're seeing. We're all witnessing uh, this ongoing cavalcade of just horrendousness, one one episode of it after another from uh, from Trump. Right. And I feel like until at least early January, when the new Congress is sworn in, I mean, Trump can basically do whatever the hell he wants, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing we can do to stop him. Between now and January, whatever it is, the new Congress sworn in January 6th or something like that, no impeachments, no indictments, no 25th Amendment. I mean, this keeps me up at night because I can totally imagine the worst-case scenario. And at the risk of invoking Shouty McShoutface, what's your take in a realistic sense on the worst-case scenario with uh, the Mad King? Well, I mean, it's like what Clint Watts said. Clint Watts came up with the famous phrase that um, the, the, the most dangerous period in American history will be from November 4th, 2020 to January 21st, 2016. Yep. Here, here. Uh, 2021. 2021. Mm-hmm. And the, the worst case scenario is that he would, you know, launch an atomic attack on somebody. Yeah. <laughs> just suddenly decide to get frustrated with Kim Jong-un or go back and saying, I'm going to start, we're going to test an atomic bomb. That could be very bad. That eliminates 40 years of freezes. I think 75. Yeah, almost 50 years of arms control. We'll put the world back to atomic bombs testing. So suddenly... Nukes will be going off in Pakistan. You know, nukes will start going off in China and North Korea all over again. We'll literally go back to the mid-70s and with the commensurate risk. But even worse, he could decide to use what I call the 37, you know, 35-minute solution, where he decides that something in this world needs to be destroyed. Yeah. That's a very unlikely scenario. Mm-hmm. A more likely scenario is that he starts calling people enemies of the state and starts arresting American citizens and making, uh, you know, 
calling on the military and the, his secret police there, these federal riot officers and things like that that are under the Justice Department's control to actually form a police state. Yep. Prairie out of coup. Quite possible. Yeah. Now, the military won't go along with it, but we don't have authorization to use the military. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so long as he's president of the United States, we can't follow unlawful orders, but we still exist. You know, two oh, things, my God. two things on the nuke front. I mean, wasn't it a couple of weeks ago? I think the White House floated the concept of doing a nuclear test. I think they were kind of yeah. contemplating that at least putting out a trial balloon. The other thing, Trump uh, yesterday hinted at another sort of fire and fury attack, but this time aimed at, of all places, China. I mean, is he insane enough to actually go to war against China, or is this something he's going to forget about next week and just move on? No, it's something he'll forget about next week. Thank Um, God. Thank you. (laughs) This is terrifying. He said that on television. It was amazing. No, I mean, I'm way more frightened uh, of the statements that he made related to um, the statements he made with Bill Barr about how American cities are under siege. I think that was yesterday. Oh, yeah. Are yeah. under siege and that he plans on cracking down severely. And I, I tweeted about this today. I said, he lives in an alternate reality mm-hmm. where American cities are Baghdad, you know, in 2004, and that the vi- uh, the rest of the country is virus-free. Yep. He's, he, he's very dangerous. I think dangerous to the point of delusional you know and maybe if we're lucky a 25th amendment you know maybe mike pence on the 4th of november after a staggering loss decides it is time to get rid of him to transition power for the sake of the country i find that hard to believe (laughs) but mike pence would come off a national hero if trump did something that like ordered the army into the into the streets and things like that i mean it would be it's impossible to think about, but yeah. he's that character. He is, without a doubt, the most out-of-control president in American history. Mm. He should be removed. I mean, um, I'd impeach him again just to get that sh- that on the record, you know? <laughs> and, you know, you invoked the words civil war today on Twitter. I mean, is that a, a real possibility, or is this going to remain somewhere at the level of a cold civil war, more or less a culture war? Well, I was actually retweeting a tweet by Mike Walker, former deputy Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, Mm -hmm. who said Trump seems to be um, arguing for civil war with his statement about cities are out of control. I may have to mobilize to crack down on them. Where what 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 is he alternate universe is he living in? (laughs) It's amazing. He really thinks that every place in the every major city in the United States is Chicago 1968 or the Watts riot. There hasn't been anything. I mean, there hasn't even been a major protest for weeks. <laughs> so yeah. he's dangerous at this point. He's dangerous. All right, we'll get back to Malcolm Nance here in just one second. But before we do, you know what everyone hates? We hate it when people post photos or screen grabs of us when we're looking our weirdest. Either we have an awkward look on our faces or we're just not looking our best. Two solutions for you. A no unauthorized photos policy for your friends on social media. And, of course, 
Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags, all in the comfort of your own home. Plexiderm goes on clear and lasts for hours, so nobody's going to know you're using it. It's your secret. And you know what? I tried it. I took the test. I was amazed. In just 10 minutes, the fine lines around my eyes disappeared. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an extra $10 off. Or try a $14.95 trial pack today by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention the code VOICES. Again, visit triplexiderm.com and use the code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle plus an extra $10 off. Or try a $14.95 trial pack when you use the code VOICES. We all know that the Clean Phone Pro with its powerful UV lights kills bacteria and viruses that live on your cell phone, your car and your house keys, credit cards, earbuds, face masks, and more. It's everywhere. But what happens when you're driving to the store, you reach for your face mask and realize you wore it yesterday and it's probably contaminated? Now, you can sanitize that mask in under five minutes in your car because the Clean Foam Pro now ships with a powerful car plug adapter included in the package. So whether you're keeping safe at home or you have to go out, you can have the benefits of the Clean Foam Pro with you at all times. Sanitize those constantly touched items anywhere, at home, in the car, or at the office. Get the Clean Foam Pro now with a car plug adapter. Add the code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word, at checkout, and you'll get free two-day shipping. Only you can defend yourself and your family from bacteria and viruses. Get the new Clean Foam Pro package. Get N95 masks and get free two-day shipping by adding the code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word. You can find that at thenewdealshop.com. Thenewdealshop.com. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. There's this feeling of helplessness, and I think... That's being compounded into our sense of stress uh, with regard to the lockdown or the coronavirus and the economic catastrophe that's accompanying all of that. So uh, on top of everything else, we've got this loose cannon who's threatening to potentially send more troops into places like Chicago and Seattle. And we are entirely powerless to do anything about it. Seems to me as if uh, gaining some sort of control... Provided he loses this election, gaining some kind we, of control are, back of the presidency. We aren't entirely powerless. We have just seen the power of people power, this spontaneous protest. And That's it's true. because it affected not Donald Trump, but everyone else. Mm-hmm. Big businesses are understanding this is money now. Money, where you have 40 million African-Americans will not spend a dime on your product if you don't back them. Mm-hmm. So just imagine if Trump tries this crazy stuff. You know, he tries, you know, something extrajudicial. I mean, I've been saying this for some time that we need to turn out 20 million, 30 million, the largest protest in world history, not just American history. Putin said to him, and I, I quote this in my second book and my third book, uh, in plot to betray, um, he said the he said the Donald Trump's greatest threat is an American Maidan, and Maidan was the movement in the Ukraine that overthrew the pro Putin government after he had ordered soldiers into the street to start killing people, and they just went people power on their ass and occupied buildings and threw everyone out of government, forced uh, you know the the the, the pro Moscow president 
to flee to Moscow. Putin understood that people power and frustrated democracy is far more lethal to dictators than anything else. I mean, you're talking, you know, we're not talking Ceausescu, where you frog march him in the street and shoot them. But the very fact that Lafayette Park, you know, he spoke to Putin. You know, the day that they they went after them in these riots. And I Mm -hmm. have to believe someday we're going to find out Putin was saying, don't have an American Maidan where they come for you. And that that is one of the considerations that led him to be a bunker baby, to go into the bunkers. I really think that and the problem is I'm generally right, but (laughs) I really think that he has, you know, a you know, this. Hitler bunker mentality right now where where, you know, you know, Yodel's fifth army has defended the city and has pushed back the Russians. And it's like, no, they surrendered 20,000 guys. Right. To use a historical analogy. Yeah. When Trump lost, I, I just wrote these chap these updates to the book. When Trump had, you know, uh, uh, General Miley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and had told all the governors, you're going to be hearing a lot from this guy. All, you know, all victories, no defeats. He's going to be leading the uh, anti-protest, you know, movement using government resources. Well, that was a surprise to General Milley, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And two days later, he comes out and says, I shouldn't have been uh, on the streets. Uh, The U.S. Armed Forces are subservient to the Constitution of the United States and no one else. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a horrible betrayal, him and Esper. Yeah. A horrible portrayal to the president to Trump. So who knows what will happen in in the in between time? Yeah, yeah, I forget about that. That was actually really encouraging to see that to see Millie actually come out the day after and go, "Hey, you know what? I screwed up. I shouldn't have gone along with this ridiculous dog and pony yeah. show with the Bible and the tear gas and all the rest of it." That was extraordinarily right. dumb. I'm also amazed that I got you to actually be uh, sort of cup half full on something, Malcolm. I feel I feel like I've accomplished well, something know, that we I, actually do have power I, now. I, I'm very half full when it comes to defending the Constitution and yeah. and the and the goodness of people. The problem is is that 40% of this nation had their minds hacked, mm-hmm. you know, by the Russians, by the Trump administration. You know, and they're living in a cult of personality. And when Trump said, don't believe anything unless I say it, no matter how contradictory it is, no matter how dangerous it is, those people believe that. They really do. And I I, I think it's time to, to publicly shame them. They can go yeah. out and um, they can go out and, you know, live their lives peacefully. But, you know, you come out there and you go to a Trump rally and you start threatening people i had somebody just uh, a couple of miles away these this couple ran out and got a, a gun because there was a black lives matter protest walking by donald trump has essentially said black lives matter were terrorist groups hmm. i mean do you know how dangerous that is to yeah. say that yep my big problem here bob let me make one last point i think i made it on stephanie miller today is um the media will not show outrage Mm-hmm. You know, commentators do, but the norms are, you know, it's like, oh, oh, you think Black Lives Matter is the equivalent to Al Qaeda. Would you like to expound on that? No, there's no expounding on that. <laughs> yeah. There is none. You've got to call that out. Now you're talking about the entire framework of our nation, you know, is being categorized as a terrorist group. 
But, you know, the First Amendment, you know, is, is, is viable for some people, but not for others. Have you ever been uh, at the receiving end of uh, some sketchy behavior by cops, Malcolm? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my favorite. I got a couple. Um, and I trained law enforcement. Soon after 9-11, I, I went to Texas to move uh, my new chief of staff to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And we were driving through Memphis. Wow. And I remember it was it was drizzling rain. I had a car in front of me, and I specifically remember I'm going to stay four car lengths behind this guy. Hmm. And I had seen an object. I counted to four, right? Mm-hmm. I come through this overpass. I see a police car up on the hillside. And as uh, soon as this guy saw me, right, I had Washington, D.C., out of area plates. He came rolling off that hillside. And I was like, okay, so what's that about? So he brings me around to the trunk of the car, and he goes, uh, you were tailgating. And I said, no, I wasn't. He goes, yes, you were. I said, no, I was exactly four car lengths away from him, uh-huh. four seconds. I said, the shell answer man definition of tailgating is being within two car lengths, which you could still stop, right? Yeah. And so he goes, uh, so uh, where are you going? And I realized, I said, first off, your profile of a black man driving a car without a state plates with a white woman in the car is out of parameters. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just floored. I go, I run a terrorism, counterterrorism consultancy in Washington, D.C. You, what you should be looking for are people who have no license plates, paper license plates, posse comitatus type stuff. Because I had met the state trooper that had pulled over Timothy McVeigh, hmm. <laughs> you know, wow. yeah. and he, the guy was like, oh, OK, well, you know, that's all nice to know. And I go, yeah, now I'm going to go back to Washington <laughs> where I just had a burning building a month ago. And what you guys need to do is step up. And I said, if you want to play in my game, you need to start looking out for extremists, yeah. not people who fit your idea of a drug profile. We have serious trouble going on here. And, you know, uh, if, if it wasn't me, <laughs> right, yeah. speaking in a manner that they understand, right, mm-hmm. they, uh, then that would have been a, well, we'd like to search your car for drugs. <sighs> Jesus Christ. You know, bring the dog over and, you know, all, all that thing. And I thought, yeah, okay, you guys suck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're profiling the wrong man. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's essentially it. Um, The only other time I got pulled over in the last 15 years, I was legitimately speeding, but it was a speed trap outside Dover, Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, Dover, Delaware. And you could not go from 45 to 30 in the amount of time when the sign changed. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, buddy. He's like, oh, you're military. You're going to Dover. All right, take off. Wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. He was like, yeah, you were doing 39. I go, yeah, because I was transitioning down from 45 to 35. Impossible to do in the length of your radar. Because <laughs> you know, they were at the 35 side. But I don't think that was race so much as speed trap. <laughs> right, so, right. 
I mean, what is your visceral reaction, Malcolm, when you see videotape like George Floyd or any of the countless thousands of other cases like that? I mean, what's your first reaction when you uh, see that on the news or you see it on social media coming down? Well, you know, the, the one that really gets me, I mean, I saw George Floyd and I realized I watched a murder. Yeah. I literally saw a man being killed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it was horrific. And I've seen people killed, like traumatically disassembled, uh, you know, but to sit there and watch him stop breathing over six, you know, seven, eight minutes yeah. is terrible. It's terrifying. I would have intervened personally. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have been calling him out. I would have been like, roll him on his stomach, let him breathe. You know, you're, you know, I'm going to, it's like that, that, that lady, the, 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 the viral video, you about to lose your job. <laughs> right? yeah. If you haven't seen that video, yeah. look that video up. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, but it's true. The woman's in handcuffs and she's singing, you about to lose your job. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you need, we need to make it clear. And that's happening now that if you screw up, the first thing that's happening is you're getting you're going to lose your job. Right. The second thing that's happening is your immunity is now gone. And that has to happen. We have to remove immunity. Murder with impunity, you're just going to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and, and policemen, 99% of policemen are great. Yep. They're there to help the community. That's right. But they've been taught since 9-11 to be gunslingers. To be ready to go to guns at any time. I In my first book, The Terrorist Recognition Handbook, which has been out in three separate editions, I have a chapter called Terrorist in Traffic Stops. In every traffic stop where the policemen went to guns, they were white nationalists or posse comitatus. Wow. Every international terrorist, including two of the 9-11 hijackers, a Japanese terrorist who had a bomb in his car on his way to bomb LaGuardia, every foreign encounter they just took their ticket said thank you officer and left i know i mean i'm so relieved to hear you uh, mention 9-11 as a component of all of this because that's one of the oh, things yeah. i can't help but to keep going back to when i see cops behaving like this it seems like there are those shadows of of 9-11 in the training and the reaction to uh, uh suspects 80 percent of cops never served in the military mm-hmm they're all out of high school and police academy. You could go right now. You're in, you're in Maryland, right? Yep. That's where I was going to go to police academy. Um, you know, you could go pay your own tuition for 90 days, and at the end of that, you actually can get a job and practice police as a as a trainee, armed, while he's still in police academy. Hmm. But there was this shift after 9-11, and particularly after the Beslan massacre in Russia, where there was all this admiration for how the Russians were massacring the Chechens. And, you know, the book on killing, which was a a treatise about the use of lethal force in the military, became this big cop reader. And this, you know, I can't remember the name of the guy who did it, Colonel Colonel Killian, I think his name was, Mm -hmm. wrote the book, um, Look It Up for Accuracy. Um, He was going around the law enforcement agencies and the mindset of, shoot first, ask questions later, became imbued in law enforcement training. It was be prepared to go to guns. Mm. And yeah, I understand that. I've trained law enforcement. There are very bad people out here. There are too 
many guns in the United States. And you're talking to a guy who owns a raft of guns, yeah. right? But unlike these other people, I don't ever bring them out. Mm-hmm. They, they, unless I have a specific range purpose where I want to do specific ammunition, you know, testing, or I want to maintain proficiency, get logs somewhere else, they stay in a safe for a year or more. Yeah. These other people who the cops are worried about are the people who carry them around. And this mindset that the government's the enemy, um, you know, and cops, and sort of the cops are your friends, Timothy McVeigh had that mindset. Mm -hmm. When he was pulled over by the state trooper, he seemed happy, according to the trooper I had met. He seemed happy that the cops were there. Yeah. Because he thought he had launched a, a race war. And that's when he, the cop said, son, are you armed? And he goes, yes, sir, I am. Here's my gun. And the cop realized he's nuts. He thinks <laughs> I'm on his side. Right, right. You know? And the, the trooper pulled down and drew him his weapon, and he realized, I have the guy. You know, no one else would believe him because he was white. That's right. They were looking for an Arab or some foreigner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so long as the, the gun nuts think the cops are on their side, and then a third of those cops are gun nuts, uh, or Q Anonymous, or these other Trump supporters, there's going to be issues. And I think a lot of those guys, too, they walk around with ARs as if they're fashion accessories. They're not actually <laughs> meaning to use them necessarily. They're just, they're, they're cosplaying. They're going to Comic-Con, but yeah. for guns, right? Yeah, but the thing is, well, you recall at that protest where the guy shot the protester in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think it was Albuquerque. Um the police had actually coordinated with them and had referred to them as armed friendlies. <laughs> not my world. Uh-huh. Anyone That's... with a gun, oh, protester boy. or not, you are a potential gun battle. It's you know? amazing. Yeah. And to yeah. think of them as, oh, these are white guys with rifles. They're armed friendlies. But a black person who has, you know, Orlando Castile. Concealed yep. carry license. Mm-hmm. Your first thought, if he's a black person with a gun, is to kill him. Yep. The mindset is all wrong. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, because most gun battles are not between black gangbangers and cops. Yeah. You have a higher risk of being shot by posse comitatus, these anti-government extremists. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's this deadly cocktail of uh, militarization of the police, the post-9-11 skewing of the training of the cops, and then also all of those things exacerbate the, uh, the outward racism that's, uh, that's there. That was, that well, it's, it's always yeah. been there. Sure, and if you look at how Trump has just labeled Black Lives Matter extremists and dangerous and terrorists, mm-hmm. hey, I'm black. I support Black Lives Matter. It was formed by three black women. Right. Mm. And, and, and to sh- all it was designed to show was, hey, we're people, too. Well, now it's like, oh, well, if you show your Black Lives Matter, they're, you know, they're trying to equate them to the Black Panthers or this uh, NF, uh, NFA group out of Georgia. Right. Black people with weapons. Yep. You know, I, I talked to the funny thing is I'm here in upstate New York where guns are very strictly controlled. Mm hmm. And, you know, I've got friends here, and they're like, oh, well, you know, there's a militia around here, you know, and you've got guns, you should come join. I go, dude, my guns are for you. (laughs) But when you go out of control, and I just hand it over to the SWAT team. 
because I trained the SWAT teams That's in right. this state mm-hmm. to be prepared for people who have proficiency with long rifles by having better long rifles with greater precision. It could be ISIS. It could be Al-Qaeda. It could be a right-wing extremist. I don't care. Once you've crossed that line, you've crossed that line. But if you're being indoctrinated into believing that people who are out there protesting for their rights are, are terrorist groups, then you get like this incident that happened nearby where the man pulled out the gun, yep. you know, and the state troopers arrested him. But did they handcuff him? No. They put him in the back of the police car. Unbelievable. No, you know, there's, there's a inherent bias right there. Yeah. Well, you know, Malcolm, before I let you go, I want to ask you about the election real quick. And I, I keep waiting for the big Russian shooter drop. I mean, we've seen the bots, we've seen the trolls, but so far, knock on wood, no major reports of hacking that I'm aware of. Have you heard anything? Is there anything out there? No, and you uh, know what? You shouldn't you shouldn't prepare for that because the entire visage of the Russian operation has changed ah. dramatically. And I've been tracking that for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you seeing? That is, well, that is that they have shifted away from the massive use of bots and have shifted more to trolls. But the Russians don't have to do it anymore because the Trump data team has taken over the Internet Research Agency's job. Oh, that's right. Brad Parscale and his Death Star. Right. And they have hundreds upon hundreds of human trolls. Also, the Russian model of vigilantes cyber vigilantes, people who are loyal to Russia. That's how they took down the internet in Estonia in, 19, uh, in 2003, yeah. right? And that they encouraged it with encouraging posts and tweets, and more people jumped in, right? Mm-hmm. That is the Trump data team right now. They are fostering a, a mindset to where, you know, I mean, I, have, I block a dozen Trump supporters on my Twitter feed every day. And the best part is they're so stupid they out themselves to me instead of monitoring me and using it on some other forum they go y'all just hate y'all libtards and it's just like block <laughs> dummy yeah they're really really easy to spot they're they're terribly you know, easy to it's spot. Like second amendment 1776 i hate libtards you know <laughs> follows you <laughs> right <laughs> it's like bye not anymore yeah i yeah. really don't get as much hate as i used to so <laughs> that's that strategy is working hey that's not too bad i hope hey. they keep following me out in public well you know i have this theory about trump's attacks on mail-in voting and i want to get your take on this he's either doing it as a pretext for using lawsuits to sow chaos during the election or he's trying to increase the rate of in-person voting which can be hacked uh, or he's doing yeah. both at the same time. What do you what do you think of that? I, think, I mean, what do you make of his mail in no, voting I, attacks? I think it's simple as this. I think he realized he thinks he has energy and enthusiasm on his side <laughs> and that his people will go and get COVID-19 for that. And he's trying mm. to use the fear of COVID-19 against in-person voting. Wow. Um and, and so there was that case uh, that was discussed today on, on Stephanie Miller, where I said a woman couldn't get her ballot. Uh, she was 92 years old. She had to get her oxygen tank or walker and her nurse and go stand in line for three hours. Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants he believes that only conservatives will, will, will come to the polls and put up with that. <laughs> but these protests should show 
we've mobilized a young base yeah. that I suspect are really going to vote. If they'll go out to these protests, they will go vote. And I, I think he may have made a big miscalculation here. Oh, yeah. They yeah. will in-person vote. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he'll try to cheat with that, too. What's your outlook? Do you think he's going to get reelected? Is it uh, is it still up in the air, or is Joe Biden going no, to uh, pull I, this I, one out? I, no, I think he's going to lose. I think he'll lose the Electoral College, and then I think he'll pull the— this was entirely, you know, his 2016 yeah. standby for law strategy. And I think he will want to sow armed chaos in the yeah. United States. There you go. I, I'm a firm believer in that. So uh, last question, any new books in the works? Are you working on anything new? Well, I, I just re- I just relaunched the, the second edition of Plot to Betray America, which is updated all the way through the impeachment into the beginning of COVID-19. Great. And, you know, what's terrible is in at the epilogue of that book, I have to apologize to Benedict Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, because Trump is not Benedict Arnold. Yeah. So far as we know, right. Benedict Arnold had the decency when he was aboard HMS Eagle after defecting to the British Mm -hmm. to write general Washington and tell him my chief of staff and my, you know, my chief of staff and, 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 and chief of logistics, they were not involved in this at all. This is my plot. I did it. Screw you, George Washington. If I'd had my way, we would have captured you too. Yeah. And then he went on to serve the British as a brigadier general in the British Army. Donald Trump is more akin to uh, Charles Lee, Major General Charles Lee, who lost the Battle of Monmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, he was captured by the British for almost a year uh, in a relatively easy capture. And while he was in on parole in New York City as a, a captured American general, he won $500 in the lottery that nobody could explain. <laughs> and while he was in captivity, and it wouldn't be learned until seven, or 1856, he had written the British a war plan to destroy George Washington in the Continental Army. Wow. Yep. I think Trump is in the Major General Charles Lee school of, uh, of business and if you don't you'll remember charles lee because of the musical hamilton where uh where they uh hamilton sings instead of me they promote charles lee make him second in command and lee goes i'm a general Lee." <laughs> and he goes, yeah that's not the choice i'd have gone with he shits the bed at the battle of monmouth was he a member of the lee family like light horse harry lee robert e lee is a descendant yeah there. yeah yeah, he was. Huh? And Interesting. he mysteriously, what, oh my God, Charles Lee gets relieved of his command after losing at Monmouth or trying to lose at Monmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he mysteriously dies while awaiting court martial in Philadelphia. Interesting. Uh, I, I, you know, um, and I think that the, the story of his treason got out. But in 1856, they found the original letter that he wrote while in captivity. And all he wanted in exchange was for all of his lands in Virginia to be given back to him in consideration that he be made governor. Maybe one of Bill Barr's ancestors uh, had him murdered. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Like Jeffrey Epstein. No, nah, nah, Bill Barr would have been his chief of staff. No, I, I like to think George Washington was a. And if you read Plot to Betray America, I go over all of this. Yeah. George Washington so hated. He was so torn by Benedict Arnold that, 
you know, the, the, the victory at Yorktown was principally because he had heard the British had moved south and that Benedict Arnold was burning farms near Richmond. So he chose 1,000 volunteers from the West Point garrison, the very guys that, that Benedict Arnold was going to have captured and killed, mm. right? Yep. yep. And he sent the Marquis de Lafayette down in his order, standing orders. George Washington's standing orders was there will be no surrender for him. Dispatch him as quickly as possible. <laughs> in other words, capture, n- capture, then kill mission. That's right. There was no capture or kill for Benedict go. Arnold. I mean, George Washington, man, that was he was a pretty mild mannered guy. But this particular one turned him into a raging angel of vengeance. Oh yeah, and I'm at sure. some point, I, I suspect we will have to have our. You know, George Washington versus Arnold moment in American history. And we find out all these people are traitors. We have to. We have to have that moment. It's mandatory. That's the accountability. Yep, yep. My friend, it's always a privilege. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I can't wait to talk to you again. And uh, good luck with everything. All right, take care. Take it easy. Bye-bye.